Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning asking for you to speak to us. And so we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be the true teacher this morning, that we would hear what you would want us to hear so that we could be transformed to look more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose powerful and risen name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Um, Before we get into today's sermon, I do just want to take a moment, since our pastor is in Zambia, making a difference, being around the world, I just want to remind you about our Global Engagement Fund Faith Promise Card. This is an opportunity for you to live generously so that others can make a difference. So if you haven't grabbed one of these to ask and pray with the Lord how much he would be asking of you to live generously so that others can make difference across the street and around the world with our missionary partners, I would encourage you to do that. They're back by the offering boxes and you can just slide them in there once you're done. So we're still in our Surprised by Hope series where we're anticipating what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live as a result of the resurrection. Last week we talked about how our beliefs and our actions go hand in hand. We talked about the firm foundation of our faith, how we have to have the right beliefs in order to live the best life. This week we're talking about the key to hope. And as you may remember, the Corinthians are getting in trouble with Paul because they're rejecting the resurrection of the dead. Or in other words, they're rejecting this idea that one day, just like Christ rose out from the grave, we're going to rise out from the grave. This is hogwash to them. What's peculiar about this is that this isn't even just purely a Christian idea. There were Jews who believed in the resurrection of the dead. It's built around the idea in Daniel 12 too, which says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame an everlasting disgrace. If you remember in the book of Acts, you learned that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees did. So the Corinthian Christians are not Jewish in their background, but the question still comes up, why are they rejecting this idea? If Paul taught it to them, what's so hard to understand? Why are they saying that it's ridiculous? Remember that these are people who are still trying to shake off their pagan religion, their pagan beliefs. They've never believed in the God of the Bible, of the God of Israel. They were familiar with religion, but not the religion of the Jews, the religion of Christianity. And for them, they had this idea that the physical world is bad. That my body is just a shell for my soul. The real me that's trying to get out of this world, the physical bad world. Just think about the whole reason you buy Pop-Tarts or Toaster Strudel. You don't buy it for the outer part. You buy it for the filling. Can you imagine a Pop-Tart? or a toaster strudel without the filling? Would you really want to eat that? No. 
For them, it was all about the filling, right? The ooey-gooey stuff inside, the brown sugar cinnamon, the strawberry, okay? The soul. That was the real you. And so for them, the idea of the resurrection of the the dead was ludicrous because why would God want to take you back to the physical bad world? I think that they would even go as far as to say, maybe some of them even believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead bodily, but just spiritually, that he was just a ghost floating around haunting the disciples afterward. But this doesn't match up with the scriptural witness because Jesus was touched after his resurrection. Remember, Thomas had to see him and touch him himself. He ate after the resurrection. And basically, Jesus even said something akin to, I ain't no ghost. (laughs) So, it doesn't really add up. What you need to understand is that the Jews had a higher view of the body than many other religions. That God created the world in six days and called it good. And this idea of the soul is much more intertwined with the physical world. That God knit you together in your mother's womb. That God made a man from the dust and breathed life into him. He always intended us to be embodied creatures. So that is why he makes a resurrection of the dead to save us from death. But I don't want to get too far into that hole. This, this overall, this sets Paul off because if they're going to reject the resurrection of the dead, they're essentially rejecting the resurrection of Christ because the beliefs are so intertwined because there's no point in Jesus being raised from the dead if we aren't going to be raised from the dead later. So in essence, they're not just rejecting the resurrection of the dead, but the fact that Jesus rode from the dead. And it seems that to Paul, he goes as far as to say that if there is no resurrection of the dead, if Christ has not been raised, if we have hope in Christ for this life only, then we're the most to be pitied. He gets all Mr. T on us. I pity the fool who don't believe in the resurrection. So today I want to explore the question, why does Paul put so much power in the resurrection? Why does Paul put so much power in the resurrection? Because his gospel that he's preaching right now doesn't sound exactly like the gospel many of us have heard. On a hill, far away, stood the old rugged cross. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Don't make fun of my singing. You can talk about it later. (laughs) The cross, we have it on T-shirts. We have it on necklaces. We have it on earrings. We have one on the exterior of the old sanctuary. We have three out front here. There's one that I just pointed at. There's one at the Welcome Center. I'm sure you have multiple or at least one in your home. 
There's arguments over the correct proportions of the cross. Are the two horizontal parts the only parts that are equal in length, or are all three parts at top equal in length? The cross is a symbol of hope, a symbol of worship, a symbol of respect, a symbol of God, a symbol of Christ. Don't disrespect the cross. Even though in the time of Jesus, for anyone to wear a cross as a necklace would have been crazy. Why would you associate yourself with such a symbol of shame? In early Christianity, the cross was not the premier symbol. Only until after the taboo around the cross wore off, until crucifixion became antiquated, did it become the premier symbol. Christianity. But even if the cross was shameful to wear, shameful to be associated with, it was still central to the gospel, central to the Christian faith. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So here's what I want to point out. The Corinthians are not getting reprimanded about the cross. They're getting reprimanded about the resurrection. So it's safe to assume, I think, that they're getting the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ right. Because otherwise, I think Paul would have said something about it within the letter. So essentially, while they wouldn't admit it, the Corinthian gospel is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was buried. But that's still a powerful story, isn't it? It's at the cross that we weep with God for his love for the world. It's at the cross that we're compelled to follow Christ. It's motivating. It's inspiring. It's beautiful while at the same time gruesome because our God not only becomes one of us, but the most glorious being in existence takes on one of the most shameful of deaths so that we could be free, so that our sins could be covered. He dies the death of a reject the death of a criminal, the death of a worthless man. Jesus asked us to take up our cross and daily follow after him, to embrace the suffering of following him, how the world will reject us. The cross is the message that we preach to people when we want to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was crucified for us. It's how all of the heinous things we've done are washed away. Hate, jealousy, theft, sexual immorality, all of our sins, all of our dirt is forgiven. But is the cross powerful enough to save us? Is the cross powerful enough to save us? Because, yes, Jesus died for our sins, 
He died a criminal's death. He endured something that no one else would really want to take up. He even said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. If there's another way this can happen, may it be so. But if not, your will be done. But I mean, Paul himself said that he doesn't boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ, and the cross of Christ alone can save us. Paul said that God reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles by means of his death on the cross. He made peace in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. And even at the beginning of this letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, the preaching of the cross is power to those who believe. But just what does the cross mean? The cross was the sacrifice for sin. We had a problem. We were cut off in relationship with the Lord because we didn't want to listen to his rules. And the only thing that could fix that relationship, the Lord said, was blood. And so he creates this system of us sacrificing animals to cover over those sins. It's not only until we get to the book of Hebrews that we learn that the whole sacrificial system was just a foreshadowing of what God was going to do in Christ because the blood of animals was never going to cover all the sins of the world. Christ was the sacrifice for sin. But also the cross was love. Because not only is it a sacrifice, it shows how personal our God is, how much he wants to be in relationship for us, so much so that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The cross was the sacrifice for sins, and the cross was love. Are there endings to movies that frustrate you? Loose ends that you feel like need to be tied up. You sit in the movie theater and think, I just paid $15 for this. (laughs) Right? Jack meets Jill. They fall in love. The movie ends with them moving away and never getting together. Hero meets villain, villain defeats the hero, and the hero never tries again, movie ends. Or maybe historical fiction, a guy is looking to make a scientific discovery that's going to transform the world, and the movie ends with him still researching. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, comes to earth is born of a virgin, grows up in a normal, average family, and one day gets baptized by his cousin, John. The heavens open, and God declares his love for his son right there. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He comes out of the wilderness and begins his ministry. He starts to do miracles. He heals people. He multiplies food. He walks on water. He forgives sins. He's doing amazing things. But the religious elite don't like him. 
because he doesn't follow all of his rules. And so they decide to get rid of him. They convince one of the closest 12 to betray him and give up his location. The chief priests deliver him over to the governor of the land to get rid of him. The crowds shout to crucify him. They strip him naked. They beat him and they crucify him on a cross. And he hangs between two rejects of society, two criminals. And that's where he dies. He's buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. It was a dark day. And Saturday comes, it wasn't much better. Nobody ate. There was only tears and silence. And then Sunday rolls around, and there's this creaking noise happening. But it's just Jebediah with his ox cart going to make a shipment to the next town. The tomb is still full. Jesus is still dead. If if the cross is powerful enough, then why isn't Good Friday the last chapter? If the cross is powerful enough, then why doesn't the story end there? Why does it not feel right for the story to end there? If the cross is powerful enough, then why can't it end on Good Friday? The cross is emptied of its power if there's no resurrection. If we get rid of the resurrection, it remains to be a story of love. It remains to be a story of sacrifice, but that's it. Because then people begin to ask the question, could this man really have been who he said he was? Is he really how great as everyone acclaimed him to be? He must have just been a man. I mean, the prophets did powerful things too, and they were just men. But for the sake of the argument, let's say that he really is God and he still just died and he never was raised from the dead. Because if Jesus just died for our sins, he's fixed part of the problem, he's covered over the sins, he's enabled us to be able to be in relationship with the Lord until we die. He's fixed part of the issue He's atoned for our wrongdoing, but we still die. We're still stuck in our sin. We're we're still sinning. We just are eternally covered by the blood. If there's no redemption story, if there's no story of victory, then how can the story of the cross, the story of love, but defeat really have any power except for an inspirational story of God jumping in front of a bullet for us. We can follow Christ's example until we die, but we only have hope in him for this life. Verses 21 and 22 of the text say, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, 
Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Now to be fair, I think Paul is concerned with the physical resurrection of our bodies here. But is that really it? Is that all that the resurrection offers? I want to take you to Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Paul's revealing how one day we'll be resurrected physically, but we also know that because of the resurrection, we have new life now. There's some of it that's not yet, but there's some of it that's right now. The cross shows love, and the cross covers our mess-ups, but I want to tell you what the resurrection does. The resurrection grants everlasting life. If there was no resurrection after the cross, then the consequence of sin, what God said was going to happen to Adam and Eve after they sinned, that they would die, would still not be fixed. We would be forgiven, but the consequence wouldn't have been repaired. We'd be able to be with God in his presence while we're alive, but we would have no hope after we would die. God never intended us to be away from him. And here's what you need to realize, because I'm sure there's some of you in the room thinking to yourself, well, my spirit still goes to be with the Lord. Okay, while that may be true, Paul says we are absent from the body and present with the Lord while we wait for the resurrection. But nonetheless, that's not how God intended us to be. He created you to be in a body. He made us from the dust to be humans, to be physical beings. And so the resurrection enables us to have everlasting life, to live as Christ lives. He, we're cut off from the tree of life, but Christ becomes our new food. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has everlasting life. Jesus was resurrected as a human to live forever, and we will do the same. The resurrection grants everlasting life, but the resurrection also enables us to live as God intended. The resurrection enables us to live as God intended. Because another sort of death happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. Yes, they were going to physically die, but also once they decided to disobey the Lord, they couldn't obey the Lord unceasingly. They're stuck in this cycle of sin, hopelessly sinful. Echoing Paul saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from this body of death. 
Christ's resurrection enables us by the same spirit that resurrected him to die, to be crucified with our old way of living so that his way of living, his new life, his resurrected life can live in us now so that we can die to who we used to be and live to who God always meant us to be. But you don't get it without the resurrection. The resurrection enables us to live as God intended. It gives us everlasting life and enables us to live as God always intended. Which means that the resurrection is the key to your hope. It's the key to our hope. And when I say hope, that's something to look forward to something you don't have to be in fear of because you know what's coming because the cross doesn't give you that the resurrection does the cross makes things okay now and enables you to be in the presence of God but the resurrection gives you new life so you could be with him forever the resurrection is the key to your hope the cross has no power without the resurrection the cross has no power Without the resurrection. Because of the cross, you're loved. Because of the cross, you are covered in your sins. But let me tell you, a love note and a pass from judgment until you die is a lot less than what God wants for you. Because he wants you to live forever. He wants you to be set free to be able to obey him and live as you were always intended to live. Because of the resurrection, you have victory over Satan and sin. Because of the resurrection, you have new life to walk with Christ. Because of the resurrection, you'll rise up out of the ground one day. Because of the resurrection, resurrection, you have hope. Because of the resurrection, you're victorious. We walk with him in victory. The resurrection puts the power in the cross. And we can say with Paul, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We are not the people most to be pitied. We have a hope because our king is resurrected. The resurrection is the key to your hope. So how should we live as a result of this? First, you got to preach the balanced gospel because I think a lot of us, the temptation is to just share with people that Christ died for your sins and stop there. He didn't just die for your sins. He was raised in victory. I'm not saying only preach about the resurrection because if you do that, you're missing out on the meaningfulness of his death, what he endured. Christ didn't die a humane death. He didn't die by lethal injection and was just resurrected. He had a horrible death to signify what we deserved. Our risen king has scars on his hands. Preach. The balanced gospel. When you tell people about Christ, tell them about the crucifixion, but tell them about the resurrection. Tell them about both. But you just can't stop there. You've also got to live the balanced gospel. You ever seen those pictures online or on Facebook, like the cookie things? It's like, oops, too much sugar. Oops, too much flour. It shows you pictures of what the cookie looks like if you put too much of one thing in there. Well, I'm going to tell you, oops, too much resurrection. Oops, too much cross. When you have too much of the cross emphasized in your life, 
You'll live in the forgiveness, praise be to the Lord, but you won't live in the victory. You'll say, I'm forgiven, the Lord has forgiven me in all my sinfulness, but you may never want to step out and walk and live as he asked you to live. You're soaking up the forgiveness, but not walking in righteousness that he's enabled you to do it. But if you got too much of the resurrection and not enough of the cross, you might say to yourself, well, the Lord has the victory. The Lord's providing for me. He's bringing blessings for me down high. And you might think, I don't need to suffer in this life. I don't need to bear a cross. I don't need to go through hard things with my Lord because he's already done it for me. You got to live the balanced gospel, being able to live into the suffering that Christ has called us to follow in, but also living in the victory and the supernatural power of his spirit living in you right now. Live the balanced gospel. And finally, hope in the resurrection. Hope in the resurrection. Make it evident I want you to reflect to yourself how many times in your prayers do you praise the Lord for the resurrection? How many times when you talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ do you reflect on the coming hope of the resurrection? Because the cross gets enough attention. We have to look at the resurrection too. Look at it both. The cross isn't your hope. The resurrection is because with it you have life everlasting. You have nothing to fear because when this life gets you down, you can be reminded that you have the victory because Christ defeated death and defeated Satan. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Preach the balanced gospel, live the balanced gospel, and hope in the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, because you were raised, we have the victory. We thank you for your crucifixion, for embracing the punishment that we deserve. But Lord, we hope in the resurrection that you're bringing to us. Thank you for paying the price for sin. And thank you for raising us up from the ground, for enabling us to walk in righteousness and know that one day, just like you, we'll rise up out of the ground. In the name of the Father who created us, and the Son who saved us, and the Spirit who sanctifies us, we pray. Amen.